ability to make a flat surface display a body as if modeled and separated from this plane, Leonardo said, was the first intention of the painter. Largely due to his work, dimensionality became the supreme innovation of Renaissance art. As he aged, he pursued his scientific inquiries not just to serve his art, but out of a joyful instinct to fathom the profound beauties of creation. When he groped for a theory of why the sky appears blue, it was not simply to inform his paintings. His curiosity was pure, personal, and delightfully obsessive. But even when he was engaged in blue-sky thinking, his science was not a separate endeavor from his art. Together, they served his driving passion, which was nothing less than knowing everything there was to know about the world, including how we fit into it. He had a reverence for the wholeness of nature and a feel for the harmony of its patterns, which he saw replicated in phenomena large and small. In his notebooks, he would record curls of hair, eddies of water, and whirls of air, along with some stabs at the math that might underlie such spirals. While at Windsor Castle, looking at the swirling power of the deluge drawings that he made near the end of his life, I asked the curator, Martin Clayton, whether he thought Leonardo had done them as works of art or of science. Even as I spoke, I realized it was a dumb question. I do not think that Leonardo would have made that distinction, he replied. I embarked on this book because Leonardo da Vinci is the ultimate example of the main theme of my previous biographies, how the ability to make connections across disciplines, arts and sciences, humanities and technology, is a key to innovation, imagination, and genius. Benjamin Franklin, a previous subject of mine, was a Leonardo of his era. With no formal education, he taught himself to become an imaginative polymath who was Enlightenment America's best scientist, inventor, diplomat, writer, and business strategist. He proved by flying a kite that lightning is electricity, and he invented a rod to tame it. He devised bifocal glasses, enchanting musical instruments, clean-burning stoves, charts of the Gulf Stream, and America's unique style of homespun humor. Albert Einstein, when he was stymied in his pursuit of his theory of relativity, would pull out his violin and play Mozart, which helped him reconnect with the harmonies of the cosmos. Ada Lovelace, whom I profiled in a book on innovators, combined the poetic sensibility of her father, Lord Byron, with her mother's love of the beauty of math to envision a general-purpose computer. And Steve Jobs climaxed his product launches with an image of street signs showing the intersection of the liberal arts and technology. Leonardo was his hero. He saw beauty in both art and engineering, Jobs said, and his ability to combine them was what made him a genius. 
Yes, he was a genius, wildly imaginative, passionately curious, and creative across multiple disciplines. But we should be wary of that word. Slapping the genius label on Leonardo oddly minimizes him by making it seem as if he were touched by lightning. His early biographer, Giorgio Vasari, a 16th-century artist, made this mistake. Sometimes in supernatural fashion, he wrote, a single person is marvelously endowed by heaven with beauty, grace, and talent in such abundance that his every act is divine and everything he does clearly comes from God rather than from human art. In fact, Leonardo's genius was a human one wrought by his own will and ambition.